this morning. Amen. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't you just love to gather in his name? Amen. It's so good to see everyone today. Man, God bless you and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. And I hope God blesses you on this special day and you spend time with your family. Amen. Man, why don't we just spend a little time in worship and just give God some glory this morning. Are you with me? Amen. Let's sing that song you were playing, Brother Matt. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to the rock that is higher than I. A tower above my enemies, and Lord, I will abide with you forever in the shelter of your wings, for you have been my strength in times of trouble, a tower my enemies, and Lord, I will abide with you forever in the shelter of your wings again now, and hear my prayer, O Lord, from the end rock that is higher than I. Oh, hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my strength in times of trouble, oh, a tower above my enemies, oh, Lord, I will abide with you forever in the shade. 
power above my enemies, O Lord, with you forever in the shell of your wings. Man, how many want that peace that passes understanding in your life? Amen. Hallelujah. My, you sound so nice worshiping. Amen. Why don't we just continue in that mode of worship? I'd like to sing that song. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Amen. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Come on, sing with me now. Sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, and we offer up to you the sacrifices of Sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Praise you, Lord. Oh, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the song when I look in your holiness. See, I think when I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light. Of you. Come on, let's just lift our hands and praise Him. When I found the joy of reaching your heart, when my will becomes enthroned in your love, when all things that surround Come shadows in the light of you. When I worship you, I worship you. 
worship you. Sing it again now. With all your hearts, just enter in. When I look into your holiness, and when I gaze into your loveliness, and when our things that surround become shadows in the light of you. I found the joy of reaching your heart, and when my will becomes enthroned in your love, and when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you. All together now, let's just raise our hands and worship Him. I worship you. service at this time, and we have some special needs we want to make mention, amen, and be remembering in prayer, amen. I have a request here for uh, the McGeary family to be praying for them. They're traveling up in Michigan, so if you'll remember them, God grant them traveling mercies and bless them while they're there, amen. If you would please remember my Aunt Rosie in prayer. Uh, Sister Rosie Wright, she is in the hospital at this time. Man, she's in a very serious situation. Man, she's having many issues, uh, primarily with her kidneys. Uh, The function of her kidneys are very low at this time. Man, and she needs a desperate touch from the Lord. Man, so if you would remember her in special prayer, man, I know the family would appreciate that. Man, if you'd remember the Buchanan family in prayer, they're in Virginia at this time. Man, we want to remember Brother Ben and Sister Rachel Pritchard. Uh, they couldn't be with us today. Man, if you'd remember them and the family. Uh, also, the McCafferty family is not with us, so if you'd remember them as well. Um, Brother Steve and Sister Sarah are in Virginia. We ask that you remember them. And also the Paschal family is not able to be here due to the restrictions with the virus going around. And so if you remember those families, amen. Remember remember each and every one of those that couldn't be here, amen. If you're joining by way of the internet, amen, we, our heart goes out for you. And 
Man, I know that if you just create an atmosphere in your home, God will reach out and touch you. Amen. Doesn't matter the distance. Amen. God is there with you. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother John Reynolds if he would come forward at this time and take these needs before the Lord. Man, do you have unspoken prayer requests? By the uplifted hand, amen. God knows your needs. We'll be praying for you. Amen. God bless you, Brother John. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just asking for your peace and your mercy, Lord, for the grace that you showed us at Calvary, Lord, to descend and dwell amongst us, Lord. There's many, Lord, that can't be here. We ask your blessings would be upon them, Lord, for each one that has a physical need and a spiritual need, Lord. Only you can supply what we need, Father. May you bless Sister Wright, Lord, and give her healing and comfort. Let her know that you care, Lord. We pray those for those that are missing, Lord, traveling, Lord, and working for you in ministry, Father. We ask you to bless our assembly, Lord, and to help us keep the faith and look to you for all of our needs, Lord. May we bind together as a group of believers to do your will, and may you bless the words that come to us, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for this assembly, Lord, and for each soul that's here. May your peace be upon us, and we love you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can have your seats. And Brother Matt has a special for us. Amen. That wasn't it, by the way. Amen. It's good to be here this morning. I was requested to sing this song. I really like this song a lot. Uh, I know you all know it, so sing it along with me. seems like it's depressing, very depressing to look at world events today. But it, to me, it forces me to look inwards and it makes me realize the great peace that I have. And the joy of knowing that it's well with my soul. Sing it with me. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like seas roll. My soul, 
stand. Amen. <clears throat> we're going to invite our pastor to come at this time. Amen. Again, we're not receiving, uh, taking our offerings up in the standard way, but be aware there's a plate in the back as you leave uh, to leave your tithes and offerings as you see fit. Amen. Hallelujah. thought we could sing that song, In Christ Alone I Place My Trust. Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my soul so strength. My source of hope is Christ the Lord. In Christ alone will I glory, though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure. And by His strength alone I overcome. Oh, I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my head. 
trophies could not equal to the praise by which I stand in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the forgive us of anything that would hinder the moving of the Spirit of God. And Lord, may you just have complete preeminence among us today. There are people, Lord, who have needs, and the needs are very real. Father, the struggle is something, Lord, that is, is so uh, sometimes so personal. And Lord, we just commit the needs of your people into your hands now. We believe you to be a healer, Lord. You're one who's a Savior. You're one, Lord, who's merciful. And you always have the best answer available. And so, Lord, we just commit our concerns to you and bring our burdens at your throne today. Lord, anoint the word, I pray. Anoint hearts to receive. And we'll give you glory and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Sing it one more time. It sounds really good. In Christ alone. 
place my trust. Find my glory in the power of the cross. And in every victory, let it be said of me, a source of strength and my source of hope. seated this morning. God bless you. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. It's certainly good to have all of you here with us today. We'll let the musicians take your places here today and uh, give you a moment just to be seated there. Got some things I want to show you that we're excited about today. And uh, then we'll jump right into the, uh, into the message today. Happy Father's Day for everybody. And uh, we um, want to dedicate this service today to fathers and the role of fathers, as you can see. And uh, trust that your day is blessed. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I just think so much of you brothers that I got a gift for all of you, that all you men that are here uh, outside, not you, Brother John, I think, but all the other brothers uh, in the table out here in the back, and uh, you're welcome to take that as you leave today. Good to have Brother John Anthony with us today and uh, each and every one of you. Bill, we miss you when you're not here. God bless you. It's great to have you here today. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you and each and every one of you today. We uh, just trust that the Lord will strengthen you and bless you all. Um, I just want to say that uh, even though this week is Father's Day, next week is going to be Mother's Day. Sister Becky was not able to be with us today. Uh, her father had a heart spell early this morning, and we were there until departure time. And so she stayed with her dad today. He's 93 and uh, just had kind of a rough week. And then this morning he had... Um, a little incident, and so uh, we just, if you don't mind, just remember him and her in prayer. And um, next Sunday, Lord willing, uh, she'll be here and we'll be honoring the mothers uh, next Sunday. Uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, Brother, I was talking to Brother Joe Pascal uh, today coming down, and uh, the, uh, there was a, uh, quite a severe outbreak of the virus in Greenbrier County in West Virginia, there was a bunch of people who actually came to North Carolina, picked up the virus, brought it back into Greenbrier County in, in West Virginia. And so the governor uh, made some kind of tight restrictions there. And they don't have a mandatory 14-day quarantine, but it's a recommended 14-day quarantine if you cross the state line. And uh, after the 14-day quarantine, you have to uh, be tested and uh, they're talking about implementing word masks all the time and so forth inside church, and uh, it's it's just uh, pretty restrictive there. So they were not able to be with us today, but we certainly do miss them. Uh, we're surrounded, and uh, as you know, and there's uh, several churches that are uh, closed back down again and streaming uh, for the time being, at least uh, periods of two weeks, and we hate that, but. Um, some of the folks just in an, in an effort to try to uh, protect their uh, congregation naturally. Um, it's not certainly not the most popular thing to do and not anything that any of us would want to uh, try to have to do, but um, we certainly want to you know, do the prudent thing and keep everybody safe. And so we pray for those assemblies, especially who and the, the kids and the folks in them uh, who have been infected. Um, Somebody said that uh, we all expected that this virus would go on summer vacation. 
We'd have to deal with it in the fall, but the virus never got the memo. And um, so we just, uh, we need to continue, and I, I, I think it's an important thing for us to continue to remember our uh, medical workers and people who are on the front line and dealing in hospitals and so forth. Uh, to me, they are heroes, and we appreciate them all very much, and uh, uh, working hard and, and dealing with the circumstances that they face on a, a continual basis. And so we thank you, and we pray for you all, and uh, may the Lord richly bless you. Now, um, let's take a look at uh, something here this morning that I'm excited to show you about, and that is uh, because we've had a little bit of delay, we've got a bit of a surge now in uh, some of these books that are arriving in different countries, <clears throat> and uh, this is the, the group of folks in Zambia, and uh, they are uh, receiving their materials now in the Bemba language, and uh, they're very excited about all of this uh, coming into their country now. There's one sister who's receiving books there outside the church, and uh, this is the, the pastor, uh, Davy Mwanza, and Brother Davy is the key man here. He's the translator, the lead translator. And uh, he's just got lots of materials. As a matter of fact, they were so excited to see the books arrive in the country. And the people were so blessed by that. They've sent me two new manuscripts, one for the Church Age book and one for the Adoption series. And so that's already in process now. And uh, they're, um, uh, they're working on other ones to follow. And uh, so that's being distributed over there. And to me, this is the... Uh, this is the uh, great thing is to watch the people, you know, so happy to be receiving materials over there. And uh, there's millions of people who speak this language in Zambia, and it's really uh, wonderful to see the believers be able to have the messages uh, in their own language. So just to orient you, uh, Zambia is right here in Central Africa, and uh, it is um, bordering uh, Tanzania. So if you'd kind of draw a line across here, well, actually, kind of across here, we've now placed books in all the countries that are below that line, uh, which is really neat, and different languages there. Zambia uh, is this country right here, and uh, Victoria Falls, which is one of the things on my bucket list. I'd love to go see it uh, right down here in the corner. But uh, the people who speak Bemba are up in this corner up here, and um, there's uh, lots of people who, who speak that language uh, this is a kind of a blow-up of Zambia here. It's kind of a funny-shaped uh, country here, but this is, the, this, this is Bimba, uh, Bimba-speaking area right here. And uh, there's uh, hundreds and hundreds of believers who live there. Let me give you a picture of Os uh, Isoka, and this is the town where Brother Mwanza lives. And uh, it's a, quite a nice spot there because it's right in that river belt that comes down. Bimba is the language of the Bantu-speaking people inhabiting the northeastern plain of Zambia and neighboring countries, Congo and Zimbabwe. And it is a lingua franca uh, language, meaning that it is a language that is adopted by people who speak different languages, but they have in common this one. And so Bemba is one that uh, services a number of different people uh, who, who are neighbors, but formerly didn't speak the same language. So a lingua franca, is that a French term? Uh, it's, <laughs> it, I, I wondered if it was, but it is, it is a language that is, is kind of has common ground uh, among people who are neighbors. So they, they've adopted this language. Now, 
it's, it's, it's the funniest thing when you go to Zambia and you listen to them talk, and they talk naturally really fast among themselves. And they talk to me, they dumb it down, you know, it's really slow. But they, when they talk among themselves, they'll talk half of their language and half English. And it's the strangest thing. And they don't even realize they're doing it. And uh, so you, you, you're kind of half tuned in to what they say. And, and uh, it, it's just the only other place I've ever seen that is the Philippines. And it's just, um, it's just different. The other exciting thing that I wanted to share with you is that uh, Friday afternoon in Mexico City, uh, the, we have uh, books arriving there, uh, the first of the shipments into South America. And uh, this was a, a transport truck that came in. And uh, for some reason or another, they told us that we were going to have to pay $1,200 in taxes or duties to get the books through the port. And uh, Brother George Smith uh, informed me on Friday. He said uh, the book showed up at the church instead. So they made it right through the port, and we didn't have to pay any extra funds for it. And uh, so we were very thankful for that. And uh, now these are the, uh, the books that are, uh, these, this is inside a church now uh, where these books are actually stored. So they're very excited. Uh, Brother George uh, called me up in, on Friday and he said that, uh, hey, listen, these brothers want to pay for these books. And I said, they're paid for. Uh, we don't need their money. And he said, but they want to pay for them. They want to do something. They are so appreciative of these books, they want to pay for them. And I said, but they're paid for. We, the, our agreement is that uh, if they send us pictures of the books that were received, and the ministry in the country take on the responsibility of distributing the books once they get to the port. That's all we ask. But it's all paid for by free will offerings that are given by you and by other people around the country and in different parts of the world. And uh, they said, no. George said, no, they want to pay. They're insisting on paying. And I said, well, I mean, I just, I, I don't want it. And I, I don't, I'm not going to take it. And he said, but they're not going to receive the books until they give you money for them. And I said, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. I said, you collect, if they want to give it an offering, they can. But we want anybody that, who needs a book and wants a book to have one. But if they want to give an offering, you collect that money and put it into some account, and we'll just turn that into the next book we print. So they're, they're probably going to do the SEALS book. And, and I said, we'll just, we'll just accumulate that money, turn it into the printing of the SEALS book, and whatever books that they have need of, we'll just, we'll just churn it back into that again. And he said, that's a great idea. We'll, we'll do that. And so this is, uh, this is uh, uh, to me, it's, it's tremendous to see how this is working. Uh, it, it may be invisible to you, but uh, it, it, is, it is a real blessing to the people uh, in these different parts of the world, especially like in, in a remote area of Zambia who, uh, you know, they just have no access. There's no way that they can go to Lusaka and pick up books if there are any there in those, in those areas. And so uh, it's, it's really great to be able to have, um, uh, you know, these, these resources available for them. And the responses that I get from them are just really, they're really excited and they're really thankful. And so it's my, my pleasure to pass on that thanks to you and uh, to be able to uh, tell you that, you know, this, this is a, a great alternative 
in terms of getting things printed in, in the hands of the people over there. You've got to remember, in, in, in the, some of those remote areas, they don't have Internet. And they don't have connectivity, so they, they can't always get, uh, you know, plugged in like we can. We take that very much for granted, that we can plug in and we can listen to anything, read anything we want anytime. But over there, a book is a valuable thing because in a, a typical home over there, they may have only one or two uh, books over there. You know, that's all they would have in their whole household uh, outside of maybe some school books. And so f- to be able to place Bibles there and to be able to place these books in their hands is a great, great thing uh, for those people there. So uh, we're in the process of doing the 1,000 Bibles in, in Eastern Africa and then the rest of these books going out. Uh, it's, it's just really been a tremendous blessing. Now... Uh, before we jump into the word, Brother John, why don't you come on? He's going to sing a special for us. And I'd like to say this, that uh, since we're having only one service on Sundays for now, uh, I think it's important for all of you people who sing specials to be conscious of the fact that if you want to wait till Sunday night, you're going to be singing to yourself. And so some of you have a fear, this kind of inbred fear that, if I volunteer to sing, then I will be perceived as somebody who is pushing my way to the front and wanting to sing all the time and, you know, trying to, uh, um, you know, be pushy with it at all. You're not causing a problem. Let's put it that way. So we would love you to sing because the, the, the song specials are a blessing. And uh, since since we are, you know, limiting just a little bit in terms of the, uh, number of services we have for the summer months here, uh, it would be really great for you to, uh, if you have something on your heart to, to sing, let me know, let the song leader know. We'd be certainly glad to, uh, to fit you in. Is that all right? Uh, it's a little difficult for us to get a choir uh, going here because we'd be spread out, you know, all around uh, the place here. Uh, it'd be a little bit difficult, but uh, as soon as we can get that back rolling again, we miss our choir and certainly love the uh, to have the choir, love to see the kids sing, and uh, it's, it's just a, always a great blessing. So we'll have one special, and then we'll jump into the word this morning. Brother John. I, I had planned to sing this one tonight. You still can. And I'd like to wish Happy Father's Day to all of you wonderful fathers, some of the best that I know of right here in this assembly. So we're very much appreciated as well. This is uh, one I wrote um, a while back called uh, That Joy Is You. I read of how they beat you and of how they plucked your face and then I said how could you stand to suffer such disgrace you're the very source of life and yet you chose to die How could you let them do it? Then I heard your sweet reply. For the joy set before me, I endured the cross. And then I said, what sort of joy could justify the cost? Oh Lord, what kind of happiness could be worth the blood you shed? And then you held me close to you and said, that joy was you. 
And you were worth every stride Long before I made the world I had you on my mind And you are everything I'd hoped for And I think it's time you knew The joy set before me That joy was I know you feel unworthy, my love's hard to comprehend, and so I'll try to tell you in a way you'll understand. When a man's in love, he would give his life if he thought that he could save his children or his wife. And if I had to choose, I do it all again for the love of God, for exceeds the love of man. The joy set before me was a spotless bride. Do you know how much I've longed to have you by my side? That joy was you, and you are worth it. Long before I made the world I had you on my mind And you are everything I'd hoped for And I think it's time you knew The joy set before me That joy was you You are everything I'd hoped for And I think it's time you knew joy set before me, that joy was you. Proverbs chapter 24, familiar passage of scripture. And this is a passage, uh, I know it's used in lots of different ways, but it really is one that is directed towards men. Verse 1, be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their hearts studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. Through wisdom is an house builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. For by wise counsel shalt thou make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this morning. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have the freedom to move among every person here today. And Lord, may you touch our hearts with your word in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. Now, um, let me just jump in here. There's a couple of slides that are on here that are going to be just very 
elementary review, but I want to, I want to just deal with the subject of the role of fathers today. And uh, you may be sitting there saying, uh, you know, hey, I'm not a father and uh, have no, no, uh, nothing in view uh, of being a father. I just need you to hang on a second uh, because the Word of God to me is something that uh, deals with every heart. And besides that, the Word of God brings a presence. When it's ministered correctly, the Word of God brings a presence. And for those of you that have a need today, uh, it is important for you when you recognize that presence to grab onto that and say, Lord, minister to the need that I have. You remember when the woman that had the blood issue saw Jesus pass by? She didn't stop and say, wow, I like that teaching and I like that teaching. No, she grabbed onto Jesus, right? She didn't just grab onto something he taught or said. She grabbed onto him. And so when he passes by today in this assembly, grab on to him, okay? And we sense his presence through the preaching of the word, and it's an important thing. Now, there are, uh, when we talk about families, and, and this, is a, uh, this is obviously an important thing, it's an important thing to me, and I, I trust that it, it has become an important thing to you, that um, the, the gospel, uh, the whole Bible deals a lot with the subject of families and uh, hierarchies within families, roles within families, and how the kingdom of God is, is structured in a certain way uh, on this earth to reflect what it's going to be like in heaven when we get there. And uh, so there are certain principles and certain things that I think are uh, obvious to us that are found in the Word of God that apply to us now, and then we'll also take them with us when we cross over on the other side. But there are three, three divisions, if you like, that I like to talk about. And one of them is the family assets or the things that we have. Uh, we have uh, finances. We have stuff. Uh, we have uh, property, if you like. And we have uh, responsibility over those things because we came into the world with nothing. So everything we have is truly a gift from God. I find that our children fall into that category as well. You may not view them as assets this morning, but I'm telling you that they are. Uh, the family legal system is that, is that process of exerting a discipline within your family to make sure that this family operates well and according to the principles of the Word of God. Is that all right? The family relationships are those in, interactive relationships uh, that every family has to deal with, good, bad, or indifferent, in order to maintain a presence or an atmosphere that the Holy Spirit's always welcome to come into. And the most important one is the relationship between a husband and wife. And if that relationship is strong, then every other relationship in the family can benefit from the strength of that relationship. You cannot, you cannot exclude that relationship or disregard the relationship between a husband and wife and, and cater to the other relationships in your household and expect your family to be strong. I remember, I think I've told you before, I remember a, a family that uh, was attending a meeting that I had on family and marriage, and uh, it was a question and answer time, and the woman got up and she said, basically, she floored everybody, and she just said, I don't know this man. It was her husband. And they were in their 60s probably, and she said, I don't know this man. She said, uh, we've grown up and invested in our children and, you know, uh, d did everything we could. And he worked a lot of hours, and I spent a lot of time with these children. And she said, all of a sudden, the children got married and left home. And she said, we turned one day towards one another and realized, my goodness, I don't even hardly know you. 
We've grown up through all of these years without, uh, you know, investing time in one another. And now, in the, in the last years of their life, they were hurting because of that. And, we, you know, they had questions in relation to that, uh, to that situation that they found themselves in. So, I, I, to me, I think it's a very important thing that uh, the relationship between a husband and wife is strong, or as strong as you possibly can keep it and make it, and uh, all other relationships within the house, they benefit from that. And, you know, your family, is, uh, your children are given to you. You don't get choices. <laughs> My goodness, you don't get choices uh, because things probably would be quite different if you had choices. But nonetheless, you also have your immediate family, but you have that external family, which are grandchildren, cousins, uncles, relations that are around you that are part of this family tree uh, that you're linked with, whether you like it or not. And uh, we also have to learn how to deal with them as well. And the scripture is full of lots of different, uh, lots of different uh, instruction about that. All right, everybody with me? Everybody okay? All right. Now, here's a statement that I uh, thought was very interesting, and, and uh, I'd like you to just ponder on this one. This was in Time Magazine, July 13, 2009. We need fathers to step up to realize that their job does not end at conception, that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, but the courage to raise one. I think that's interesting. We need fathers to step up to realize that their job does not end at conception, that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child, but the courage to raise one. That's a great statement. What's interesting is who made it. Let me continue with that statement. On every single significant outcome related to short-term well-being and long-term success, in every measure of that, children from intact two-parent families outperform those from single-parent households. Longevity, drug abuse, school performance, dropout rates, teen pregnancy, criminal behavior, and incarceration. And in all cases, the kids living with both parents drastically outperform the others. That's a pretty substantial statement made in 2009. Now, I want to deal with only one statistic today. I mean, this is the kind of thing where you could, you know, throw in lots of statistics. And if you could say it, you could throw in a lot of them here. But I want to just deal with one. And this is one that I was flipping through a, a resource that I had, a book that I had. And I found this statement here. And I, I just, it caught my attention. And I wanted to just deal with it momentarily. And, and this is what the statement said, that one in every three kids in America, one in every three kids, one-third of children, in America, live in a home without their biological father. One-third of children in America live in a home without their biological father. Children from fatherless homes are more than four times as likely to grow up and live below the poverty line. And 70% of prisoners come from homes like this, and 80% of rapists had no dad in their home. Children from fatherless homes are more likely to experience teenage pregnancy. Now you say, well, you're bringing in more. No, I'm still dealing with this idea of a single-parent home. And then I went, and I, I wanted to do some research on this to find out whether this was actually so. And the percentage of families that are one-parent families. Now, this is, interestingly, this is kind of like over my lifetime. From This is 1950 over here, where there was 7%, all the way to 2010. 
and we find there's been a consistent incremental increase of families that are one-parent families over that 65 years, 66 years, something like that. Over that time period, it's been a consistent rise. What else is interesting when you look at this figure, this statistic, is that we are the highest in the world. The next nation who has the highest number of single-parent households is 15%, which interestingly enough happens to be Canada. So therefore, it's an interesting thing because we cannot then ascribe single parent, the problem of single parenting to lack of money. Because compared to all the other nations of the world, right, we are a very rich nation. And we have, we have government funding that is given to single parents. We have, we have uh, lots of uh, programs that are designed to help, uh, you know, single families. So it isn't a lack of money that causes single-parent single households to increase. When you, when you remember the graph I just showed you there, it's never going down. It's always continually going up. For decades, the share of U.S. children living with a single parent has been rising, accompanied by a decline in marriage rates and a rise in births outside of marriage. So there's been less people married, more births outside of marriage, which constitutes more single-parent homes. A Pew Research study of 130 countries and territories showed that the U.S. had the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households. That's a problem. You know what? That's a problem because now we're at one-third of all children in the U.S. living in single-parent homes. That's a tough thing. If you're a single parent, that's a tough thing. And for children, very often, uh, you know, especially children who are raised in, in inner cities and so forth, it's difficult because they lack the family, uh, the, the, the family uh, strength that, that a two-parent family brings, and they lack that balance in the family uh, by having only one parent there. There is a balancing act that goes on when you have both parents, all right? Now, Brother Branham made a statement back in 1960, and even though a lot of people might have looked at that and said, hey, that's not a problem, very often, Brother Branham said things that would become a problem. He's looking not necessarily at the present. He's looking at things that are going to become issues up the road. Are we okay? He's a prophet. He's looking prophetically at things. And he says, he describes this situation where he's going through a hotel. Uh, and I talked to a brother who, uh, who was with Brother Branham, not in, the, in this hotel. But he, he described to this brother... Uh, Brother Branham described to this brother in detail what happened, and I will assure you that Brother Branham does not give the full description here in this paragraph I'm going to read you. It was much more graphic, and it was much more immoral than what, uh, what, he, what he describes here. But because of, you know, he's in the pulpit, he's just kind of given us a summary here. And this is the, you've, you've probably encountered this. He said a couple, uh, a couple of old men run out there trying to grab these women. They were in a, hotel, a couple of hotel rooms there. And he said they missed and they stroked her hands down behind him and grabbed her by the heel. She sprawled out in the floor and spilled her whiskey that she had. And this old uh, man was so drunk that he couldn't get off the floor. And this lady turned to Brother Branham and said, we're just having a nice, clean time, just having a little fun. And Brother Branham describes this incident in several different uh, sermons because it was such a striking thing to him. And it was such an immoral scene. It shocked him uh, when he saw this. 
And then he says that's what breaks up homes, and that's what spoils children. That's what makes neurotics, and that's what makes teenage delinquency, is when motherhood and fatherhood is broken. And so here's a prophet now, a 20th century prophet, looking at, at a circumstance back there, which is indicative of the fact that when motherhood and fatherhood are broken, or when they're compromised, and when people don't step up to the plate and become the kind of parents that they're supposed to be, when it's all just based on feelings, and it's all just based on maybe a government handout, or whatever else, then there's a breakdown within society, because you have a generation that's being raised in a way that's not biblically designed. Right? And so therefore you cannot, you cannot disregard the word of God and expect things to come out right on the other side. Because the statistics will show you, if you could say that, they will show you that it doesn't, it doesn't help when you disregard the word of God. And, and we have minimized, we have decentralized the word of God in our nation and from our government and from our schools to the point where it's not considered uh, it's not considered important enough to teach or to maintain in our society. It has become culturally insignificant. And there's a lot of people that have made it so that the best thing to do is just disregard the Word of God altogether, disregard the Bible, and, and certainly we don't want to rely on it for anything factual or any kind of proof or any kind of, uh, anything substantive in our, in our culture at all. We want to brush it aside. You ever have the experience of going up the road and the traffic is slowed down, slowed down, slowed down, and then when you finally get up to where the source is, there's a guy on a scooter who's got a big helmet. I don't know why it is that people who are on scooters have big helmets. They look like, uh, they look like safety uh, bobby pins, you know, they, uh, or a nail. It's all really big on their head. Anyway, and, and, and somebody's on a scooter, and they're kind of in one-third one of the road. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. And, and everybody's got to kind of get around them. You've got to get around them at your chance without running headlong into the traffic coming the other way. And you just wish that that guy would get off the road, right? I mean, let's be honest now. Let's be honest. I mean, he's got a right to be there and all the rest of it, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But, I mean, when, when you realize, wow, that, that's what's caused the slowdown. You ever have that feeling that you like to roll down your window and say, hey, buddy, get yourself a car or whatever, you know, whatever. I mean, sometimes you feel like that. I'm just being honest. Is that all right? I mean, it's better than being dishonest here in the pulpit. So that's the alternative, right? But... Let me tell you, I, that's just kind of my analogy. That's kind of my comparison to how people view Christianity now today. That's, that's a lot of times how people, when you pull out your Bible verse in response to something today, it's almost like, get that off the road. People don't want to, they don't want to discuss that. They don't want to have that. They don't want to include that in the conversation. And you know what? You can believe it if you want, but my goodness, don't bring that in as something that we're going to discuss as, you know, as believable. The Scopes trial back in the early 1900s began that process of discrediting the Word of God, if you remember back then. And it was all, you know, like uh, there was a certain respect that people had towards the Word of God un until people started to use it as a basis of knowledge. Uh, you might not agree. Nonetheless, Brother Branham's describing the breakdown of fatherhood and motherhood as, a, as a, uh, a, a symptom of where this society is moving. Now, Brother Bannon makes a statement, and I, I really like it. 1957, your attitude towards Christ will make a great impression on what your children will be. 
Your life that you live before your family will make an impression on what your children will be. Because the Bible said he would visit the iniquity of the parents upon the children to the third and fourth generation. We make a great mistake when we assume automatically that children are going to pick up our values and our love for the word of God just because we drag their carcass to church. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you for a fact that children will, uh, they, they, they will definitely, uh, They will hear what you have to say up to a certain point, but they'll never misunderstand what you do. And what you do has the power to make an impression on your children greater than just your teaching or just your set of rules or just your ability to say, let's do, this is what I think we should do. When a father says, I will take what the Word of God says and let that be my guide, let me tell you something, that makes a profound impact on children over time. Now, If you don't believe this, here's an example. I've read it to you one time before. Once upon a time, this is a story. All right, here's a break for you. You can take a story. Here's a story. Once upon a time, there was a family of wayward church members who had been active but lost all interest and had fallen away from church. There was the father and three sons, Jim, John, and Sam. The elders had talked to them about their lost condition, and the preacher had visited them, and many brethren had talked to them about their lost condition and tried to get them to come back to their church. But all of it didn't seem to do the least bit of good. One day, while the boys were out in the pasture, a large rattlesnake bit John, and he became very ill. The doctor was called, and after examination, he pronounced John to be in very critical condition. And he said, about all now we can do is pray. And the father called the preacher and told him of John's condition. And he asked the preacher to pray for John's recovery, and this was his prayer. You ready? O wise and righteous Father, we thank Thee for Thou and Thy wisdom sent this rattlesnake to bite John in order to bring him to his senses. He has not been inside the church for years and is doubtful that he has in all that time felt the need for prayer. Now we trust that this will prove a valuable lesson to him and that it will lead to genuine repentance. And now, Father, wilt Thou send another snake to bite Sam and another one to bite Jim and another big one to bite the old man? We have all been doing everything we know for years to restore them, but to no avail. It seems, therefore, that all of our combined efforts could not do what this snake has done. We thus conclude that the only thing left that will do this family any good is rattlesnakes. So, Lord, send us bigger and better rattlesnakes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, you didn't expect that. Now, I want to introduce a, a a concept or an aspect of fatherhood uh, that, that is found in Scripture that I think is important for us to grasp here this morning. Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, uh, this is the familiar passage, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you and so forth. Everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Obviously not. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him for a fish a serpent? Obviously not. Or if he shall ask him for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? I hope not. And if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, there's a wrong way to interpret this verse and this teaching that uh, all we need to go to God is ask him for whatever we want, and he's like a big vending machine in the sky, and he's just going to provide everything that we want. That's the wrong way to look at this. 
I believe one of the right ways to look at this is that your heavenly father is still what he was, described as in the Old Testament as Jehovah Jireh, one who provides. And he does not provide in a passive way, but rather he provides in rather an aggressive way. He goes, he goes to an extent to try to make sure his children get what they have need of. He's not giving things here at all on condition. He's not saying, now, if you live right, and if you go to church three out of four Sundays a month, and uh, you refrain from uh, watching evil things on on Netflix, then uh, you will receive good things from your Heavenly Father. It's not conditional at all. But rather, the idea is, is that your Heavenly Father is waiting for an opportunity to do things for you, and He's willing to go to to a real great extent in order to get you what you have need of in this life. He has the resources. He has the ability. He knows how to do it. One of your jobs is to come and ask him and ask him in the right way and not demand from God and not complain when God doesn't do things that you want, but rather to come to him and ask him uh, because, Lord, this is something that, uh, you know, is just on my heart. And I will tell you this, that we know that God knows even before you ask, before we reach out to him, uh, we know that our Heavenly Father knows what we're going to ask. Isn't that right? And we also know that our Heavenly Father knows what's best for us, even if we don't ask for it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And He's an intercessor. He's one that knows how to do this. Now, I, I want to, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like you to look in, uh, we, can, we can follow it in the Scripture here for now, in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, I've been going through the book of Deuteronomy because a lot of the New Testament is based on the book of Deuteronomy, or it's excerpted more than any other Old Testament book. And Jesus referred to the book of Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. And Moses writes these words, Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Now, stop for a moment and remember this. Uh, this is Moses recounting how that God stood for, led the children of Israel, and fought for them in their journey to the promised land. And this is, this is the image that God is, is wanting to portray to the children of Israel. I didn't just give you a commission and a roadmap, but I was there to fight for you so that you would actually make it. You would actually make it. And the making of it was not going to be credited to you. The, 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 the success in the journey was going to be giving glory to God. And, and I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to send you somewhere and hope you make it. I'm going to actually go before you, and I'll go behind you, and I'll go around you, and I'll provide for you in the middle of that journey. And I'm going to make sure, I'm going to deploy all of my resources that I have at my hand to be able to make sure that you get there. That's what God is conveying to the children of Israel. And Moses is recounting that. That's what Deuteronomy is. It's a second telling of the story. And he says, I did all of that. 31. And in the wilderness, uh, where thou hast, where thou hast seen how that the Lord God bare thee, or carried thee as a man doth bear his son, in all the way that ye went, until he came into this place. In reality, God is telling them, you got there because I literally carried you there through all of the obstacles that you faced. You're there not by your own strength. You're there because I carried you from where you were in Pharaoh's Egypt all the way into the promised land because of what I promised Father Abraham years ago. But here's what I want you to catch, is that 
God, in his description of this, he said, I want, to, I, want to, I want you to know that I bear you as a man beareth his son. And to me, this is one of the key roles of a father. He is one who is willing to fight for his family. He's willing to fight for his children. He's willing to fight for the right and stand strong in what he knows to be God's commission to him. Can somebody say amen? That's what every woman wants to see in a father. I believe that's what the image is that God is trying to project here. And if we're going to take God as an image or someone we can model after, this is the idea that he presents to the children of Israel here. You got there because I carried you like a father will carry his son. Now, we find over in Genesis chapter 50, here's an example of the, of the same word here, in... Uh, And his sons did carry him according as he commanded them. This is Joseph and his brothers carrying Jacob back up into the uh, into the land of Israel to bury him. And when his sons, verse 13, his sons carried him into the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought and so forth. That's the story. The, The word here is the same word as what God says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 1, I carried you just like you carried Jacob after he died back up into the place of burial that Father Abraham brought. And so God is telling them, I literally carried you. I carried you out of, out, out of where you were in bondage and brought you into the promised land because the promise dictated that you were not meant to be down there. You were meant to be here. Hey, listen, saints of God, I believe when we get into glory, we'll realize it was not our smarts that got us there. It's not our strength. It's not our uh, discipline that got us there. It'll be because he carried us through. How many of you can testify the fact that God carries you through things and has carried you through things in life that you never would have uh, been able to navigate yourself? You never would have been able to, uh, you know, be able to endure yourself. And you feel like giving up and you feel like flopping on the ground and just letting it all go by. But somehow or another, you find yourself staring at the finish line. It's because somebody has carried us through. And that's the idea that God wants to convey. Now, to me, the greatest challenge for fathers is exactly this. that they're concerned about everybody in the family and willing to carry their family through. Now, let me give you an odd example here. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David came to to the 200 men at Ziklag, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Now stop for a minute. Let me give you a little background. This is the place called Ziklag where David is camping out with his men. And you remember they catch the, uh, the slave of the enemy in the field? And he informs them, he informs David and his men where the enemy is. You remember that story? David's wondering how he's going to you know, navigate the battle. And all of a sudden they find this slave who's laying in the field and he's almost near death. And they, they find him, they bring him to David. And they say, David said, hey, you're the slave of one of those uh, officers in the, in the enemy, uh, the enemy's army over here. And so this slave opens up and tells David all the strategic information he needs to know in order to win the battle. David says, hey, guys, mount up, take your swords, let's go. And they go off and they, they uh, slay the enemy there and come back with the spoil. 200 of those men were too exhausted to go with David. And so they offered to stay with the stuff. They, they wanted to stay back at the camp. And uh, the, the other soldiers went with David and, and won the battle. So when David comes back to these people who are still at the camp, 
he salutes them. He doesn't rebuke them. He salutes them. And then he answered, then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial. That's a strong statement, by the way. Of those that went with David. These are the ones who were victorious now. They went with David and said, because they went not with us, we will not give them of the aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man and his wife and his children. We're not going to share the spoils of victory, that they might lead them away and depart. Then said David, you shall not do so. My brethren, with that which the Lord has given us, who hath preserved us, and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. Hey, listen, we are successful because of the grace of God. We are successful because we work together and God blessed us and gave us victory and put the enemy into our hands. That's why we're successful. And David reminded them of the right thing that was happening here. And he says, for who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as for his part that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. So in other words, David acting like the father or the pastor or the leader of this band here, he had a, he had people that were vastly different in their viewpoint. One, I mean, there's a group of them that are very aggressive here. They're guys who, when they come back to camp, they gotta peel their fingers back off the sword because they, uh, you know, they probably killed so many of the Egyptians there or the Philistines there. And, uh, these, these are men of war. These are men of battle. And so he's got this aggressive, uh, forward, strong group of people in this band. And then he's got these other people here who are 200 more who are on the more passive side. And David says, hey, you know what? We're not two groups. We are one. And he stops everybody. And he says, you know what? The people who stayed or the people who go, he says, we are all one family here. We're going to enjoy the spoils together. Every man will get his equal share. And he has some strong words for the people that disagree with that. Now, I'll tell you something, as, you know, uh, having experience in the family, I have found that uh, my boys, even though the same mother and father were involved in the birth of, of those four boys, they're all different. And when we, make a, when we make a decision, you know, as a father and say, oh, no, this is the way it's going to be, and uh, sometimes we just hang on to, hang on to things, we, we sometimes can fail to, to we can fail to acknowledge how different all of our children are. Now, I don't believe that that means compromise. And I don't believe that, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. And I, I didn't premeditate saying this at all, but it's a funny thing how that sometimes your older children will say, hey, you treat the younger child. Some of you are already shaking your head, right? Brother Barry, are you really going to go there? And I tell the people all the time, you know what? Um, I know a little bit more. You know what? I, I've, I've grown a little bit more. And I, I, got a little, I think I have a little bit more wisdom in terms of dealing with, with my sons as, I, as, as experience has taught me and so forth. Um, many times, many times... <laughs> uh, yeah, you think this is funny. This is, you sh- I wish we could turn this around and let you look that way. Um, many times in the early years, we didn't have the resources that we have in the later years, right? You know, we might have had one car. We might have had, hey, we grew up in a town where there was no Walmart. We're, we're, we're talking post-Depression era. I mean, 
You know, I mean, it was things were things were different, and uh, you know, uh, and I would say this, and I I think that some of the olders would say this here too, that you know we had a lot of fun in those days, but but things change over over time, and you know what? Even though even though the uh, your methods and your your outlook may change, your love for your children doesn't change at all, and it shouldn't change. But how we exercise that, how we express that, and how we deal with, uh, you know, subjects of supply and discipline and all those things, sometimes they change a little bit because we mature and we grow. But I will tell you something that, to me, the most important thing is not so much what this son got versus that son, or how this daughter was treated versus that one. I think it's more, the, the, the most important thing to me in parenting has been establishing a relationship of trust and respect with my boys. And maintaining that over a period of time. And I think that's most important. And that has to happen with every one of them. That has to happen with all of them. Maintaining a, a relationship of trust and, and uh, respect. And I think it, it goes both ways. That not only do you respect them, but they in turn learn to respect you. So when the times for discipline comes, hey, it's going to be there. But when times for respect comes, that's going to be there as well. And, and there, are, there are times when the same rule does not apply to everybody in the household. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, in a sense, a give and a take, which is exactly what David is, is displaying here. As, as somebody who's wise, he's looking at the whole group, not just, not just the aggressive fighters here, the louder ones. He's looking at the whole family and saying, no, you know what, we're all in this together. And there are times when you probably wouldn't go, and these guys would. And you know what? You would want to be treated this certain way. So David is looking at all of this together, and he's acting, to me, he's acting like a, an honorable father in a situation like this because he's carrying everyone. Are we okay? This is the idea that, uh, that, that uh, David is, is trying to convey here. Now, <clears throat> we find as we go back to our text there, the wisdom through wisdom is in house builded, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. A man of knowledge increaseth strength. In other words, a, a wise man is stronger than a strong man. That's what the Hebrew literally says. A wise man, a man who uses knowledge, is stronger than a man who uses physical strength. For by wise counsel they shall make thy war, and in multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, we find over in the book of James here, um, I left my clicker home, James chapter 3. This wisdom, this wisdom that uh, uh, Solomon describes back here, through wisdom is in house built, wisdom that descends from above, not from above, is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So if we take that definition of wisdom and we bring it back here, then your house is going to be established when you don't show partiality to your children. When you don't show a one-sided favor to your children, right? And the boys are treated one way and the girls get away with murder, you know, or the girl gets away with murder. Sorry, sister. We, 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 we are fair across the board. In other words, you know, there are certain things that are expected of everybody in the family. And, and this is how Solomon is saying that when we take the wisdom that God sends, when we take the wisdom that God allows to come to us, then we apply that in our family and we apply it in our life, that house is going to be stronger than a house that uses the wisdom that comes from modern television. 
Because modern television will twist the definition of family. It'll twist the definition of manhood. It'll twist the definition of, of gender, right? It'll twist everybody's perception of thing over time. And I believe that James is telling us that you've got to be sure that your source of wisdom is not from the cosmos around you, but your source of wisdom comes from above. And to me, a father is constantly stopping and checking and making sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do because I know that God's ideal, God's, God's purpose and God's heart is to carry a family through this filthy age that we live in and bring them to the place that they're destined to go. And I believe as a father, he's using my hands to do it. So now, to me and my role, I mean, we still, I still have Lucas here, but, uh, and John Anthony, you know, my, my sons, but I still have, uh, I, I, now I have a, a, a joyful responsibility to be able to help with my grandchildren, to get behind the parents of my grandchildren, and to be able to help them escort these children along, and to be able to help them uh, to maneuver through this world. Because it takes more than just, uh, you know, imparting knowledge or homeschooling or sending your kids uh, to a decent school. It takes more than that to get your children through. Sometimes you just got to literally pick them up and say, this is a little bit too hard for you. I'm going to carry you through and bring you through to where you need to go. Is that all right? And I'm telling you this morning, that's the heart of God. We find over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We were gentle among you. Watch Paul's description now. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth cherisheth her children. This is a breastfeeding mother. That's That's the imagery he's using here. We, as the ministers among you, were gentle among you. So being affectionately desired of, desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. The motivation is love for us to be able to work with you so that we give you not only good teaching, but we give you example, we give you offerings, we give you whatever we have to give. We're going to, to impart that to you so that uh, you can prosper and you can move forward. And, and this, is what, this is the idea that Paul is conveying. Read with me a little bit further. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. In other words, we made tents here so you didn't have to pay our motel bill. We took care of our own expenses when we were among you because we didn't want to charge the church anything. We didn't want to be an encumbrance on the church. So, you know what, we're not afraid to labor because we want the church to move forward and we want you to be able to afford your own books and your own supplies and, and so forth. And so we, we, we took care of those things ourselves. Ye are witnesses in God, verse 10, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Same idea as Deuteronomy chapter 1. You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Let me tell you what Paul is really trying to convey. He's telling the people that I want to impart certain things to you. I got the word underlined there. I want to impart certain things to you because I'm going to die. And I want you to live this message even if I'm not around. Because if you're only living it because I'm here looking at you in the face, you're not living it for the right reason. 
Paul says, I've given you everything. I'm working. I'm laboring. I'm doing all I can. Bringing ministers into the church. We're trying to do everything we can to, uh, you know, impart certain things to you because we want you to be solid in the faith. We want you to be unintimidated by Satan and Satan's Eden. We want you to be unimpressed with Laodicea. And we want you to make it. And the only way you're going to make it is that you have an encounter with God and you have an experience with God that carries you through even if I'm not here. Paul says, I'm only here for a season. I'm only here for a little while. And he says, we worked because we didn't want to be a burden to you. And we're going to pass on. We're going to leave town. And we're going to go to another place here. But I want you to have a revelation. I want you to have a kernel of truth that grows in your heart to become a great tree that puts down solid roots because the enemy is going to blow against you lots. And even if I'm here or I'm not here, I want you to live this message. I want you to believe and I want you to grow and I want you to make it all the way. And I want to treat you while I'm here like a father who carries his child. And when I'm not here, he will. Am I making sense? We find the same word over in the book of Luke. He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him. That means to fully surrender. It means to fully supply. That's what the word impart means. So John the Baptist is teaching the disciples, and he said, If if somebody has two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. You want to fully surrender what you have because you're interested in the welfare of another. All right? A father is interested in the welfare of his family. If he's not, he's not the right kind of father. He's going to bring him to church. He's going to be regular and consistent. He's going, to, uh, he's going to be submissive to the Word of God. We find in Romans 1.11, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. You get, I hope you're getting the idea that when, when Father God comes around, He wants to impart good things to you. And He does it through the ministry. He does it through parents. He does it through pastors. He does it through uh, the church. He uses different means to impart things to you because He's interested in carrying you through all the way to the very end. God is using resources. God is committed to that. You say, well, as a father, what can I impart to my children? I'm only me. Number one, your children are looking for a proper scale of values. Do you realize how important it is for kids to have good values in our time? To, to, to make sure that they question the values of their friends and to adopt biblical values. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> A companion of fools is destroyed, Proverbs 13:20 says. But he that walketh with the wise shall be wise. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. So therefore, your children need to have a good sense of value and integrity in their life. The best place they're going to get it from is their parents. They're going to need to know how to make good decisions. How do I go about making a good decision? How do I, how do I make a good decision about, uh, you know, how do I spend my money? What, what college career do I have? How do I deal with this with my wife? You know, I'm just newly married and I got a problem here. How do I deal with children? How do I, lots of things that, that happen in life. They need to know how to make good decisions. How do I know, uh, you know, when it's time to move or, you know, when it's time to make some major changes in my life? The way that major changes are made successfully is when we learn to make minor changes successfully in our life. I said, the proving ground for big decisions in life very often is the little decisions that children make in life. 
I think it's a great thing if your child ever says, I want to come up for prayer because I got an ache or I got a hurt or I got something else and they want to come up for prayer and have Brother Barry lay hands on them and pray for them. You make sure you let them do that. Because the little experiences they have in faith give them the confidence to say, you know what, when I got a bigger problem, I know where I can go. And it's not Brother Barry, you understand. It's not Brother Barry. It's they can turn to God. They can cast their cares upon God. And they're actually practicing the scripture that invites them to do that very thing. And that's exactly what we need to do. And as parents, we do that. They need to have, the, the children need to have the courage to stand alone. The best way to, to, to teach that is for you to stand alone. In other words, to say, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing out there. We, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And we're willing to stand alone. We're willing to be the oddballs in this neighborhood. We're willing to be the oddballs in our, in our, in our school. <clears throat> the techniques of security. <clears throat> how that we, how that we defend our family. How that we, uh, protect our family. How that we put a door between ourselves and Laodicea. Or a door between ourselves and Sodom and Gomorrah. By God's grace, I've protected my family over all the years and all the traveling that we've done internationally and all the various situations that we've been in and all the different, uh, you know, circumstances that we've faced. I've never thrown a punch and hit anybody in my life. Never once. Except my brothers. And you're allowed, that, that's, that's, a, that's an exception that's allowed by God, I think, right? And so when we were growing up, I mean, that was okay. I've gotten hit, but I've never had to punch somebody in my life. Never had to pull a gun on anybody in my life. Never had to, uh, you know, threaten somebody's life or something like that. Never had to do that. And a lot of times, a lot of times, I've avoided that because I've used the scripture that a soft answer turneth away wrath. And I've been in some hostile situations and some challenges. I've been robbed and, you know, different, different spat on and different things in my life. But I've found that the right response, the appropriate response, is much more effective than a show of physical strength. I never owned a gun before. I never owned a gun until uh, the situation up in Connecticut. Uh, what? Sandy Hook. When Sandy Hook happened, and a guy came into that classroom and did what he did to those children, I thought to myself, if my grandchildren were in that classroom, I'd want to I'd do something to defend them. And to me, that was a tipping point for me. Not my sons, but my grandchildren. No, I'm only kidding. What a difference 20 years makes, right? Because it was a rare thing back, back when, you know, Pete was a young, young guy in kindergarten. But I thought if a guy could be that depraved, that would be out of, so out of control, that he could come into a, a, a kindergarten classroom and shoot children, I would want to do whatever I could to prevent that from happening. For my, if my grandchildren were in my yard playing and some guy came in with a gun and threatened to, you know, you know what I'm saying. I'm, that, that affected me because of the world that we live in here. And you know what? I, I, I don't carry one. I don't have one. The only, thing, the only thing dangerous I carry is my permit. Concealed carry permit. It's when the sisters carry them. That's when we really have to worry. But anyway. <clears throat> Yeah, we know who they are. We, you, you're all monitored. We have, we have sensors here in the church. How you, how you secure your household, not only from the physical threats, 
But the spiritual, the demonic attacks, I think is an important thing. And I think I can impart some of that to my kids. Handling finances. We had a discussion the other day about finances. There was a couple of the boys in the house. And you know what? Whether they were just uh, pleasing me or whatever else, they acted like they were listening. I was talking about some things, you know, like, you know, uh, priorities with funding. And they actually looked like they were interested. And I thought, I'm going to keep this up because it's rare that I get the floor like this. And people are kind of like, I'm willing to take notes here. You learn some things over time. You learn some things over time. Well-exercised sense of humor and playfulness. There are sometimes, hey, that, that kind of an attitude, because it's not all serious and it's not all uh, rules and regulations, but having a sense of humor, having a time of play, right? Those are good things. Hard work and responsible diligence, all those things are good. In other words, these are things that I can impart to my children. These are things that I can impart to my grandchildren. These are things that I can give that make people stronger in the long run. These are people, these are things that I think I can impart to the church, right? We, we, we can, we have talked about things in the church. This is biblical. The idea of a traditional Hebrew father, as I've said to you before, he gives inspiration. Uh, he gives spiritual instruction. He teaches the sense of work and integrity and responsibility. He also leads his sons in the marriage, or his daughters in the marriage, so that when we give them away at the altar, uh, they are somewhat prepared for what it is that they're actually getting. They have a good knowledge. They have a good, uh, a good uh, grounding or a good foundation into what they're heading into. And those are, those are not things that God's going to take over and do for you. He's going to give you that insight that you can hand them on to the next generation, that they might hand them on to the next generation, and that's where that knowledge should come from. It should not come from the modern secular resources. I subscribe to this, number one, because it was free. I'd never pay for this. It's called Parents Magazine. And uh, uh, number two, I, I subscribed to it because I wanted to find out what the modern uh, teaching is about parenting. I wanted to know, like, I mean, I know what it was like when we had little kids, right? And you're dealing with, uh, you know, diapers and all that kind of stuff. And I remember that way back there. But I, uh, I mean, that's when we had corded phones, right? So that's a little bit outdated. So I wanted to find out what are, what are people saying today about parenting and what are they teaching today? Well, because families are so spread out and everybody's, you know, uh, hither and yon, that we don't have uh, mother and father and aunt and uncle down, down the road that we can go down and ask questions to, right? And we don't have, uh, you know, a cousin. Sometimes we don't have a cousin. Uh, if you live in Shingle Hollow, it's a little bit different, right? They're all a cluster over there. But in my case, I'm the only one in my family who lives in the United States. All the rest of my family live in Canada. So I don't have my brothers or my, my nieces and nephews to come over and babysit for us. Right? We gotta, we gotta do a five part form and, you know, get a federal inquiry into the background of a babysitter, you know, in order to, to have somebody come because certain times have changed, right? Fingerprinting, eye scans, you know, the whole thing. But anyway, my point is I wanted to find out what modern people are saying about parenting. So I, I, I got a few issues of this, this one here. And um, I wouldn't recommend it, number one. Uh, these are some of the things that are on here. And this is a, uh, an article here that uh, talks about how that a mother can integrate back into the workforce. Uh, and, and have her children be looked after by somebody else. That's what that one is. This article is called The Best Possible Divorce. This is how to get the best possible divorce you can. That's what the title of it is here. 
And it tells you how to navigate through divorce if you have a child because the mother is always going to be the mother, the father is always going to be the father. And so this is uh, good advice. It's an article on that. And then, you know, inevitably it's going to have one like this. And this is a guy holding the baby, and he says, my toddler calls me mama. And that's fine by me, even though I'm his dad. So this is a whole article about how a man should feel being called mama. Don't subscribe. All right, so let's, let's for a minute now. Are, are we okay? Can I have a couple of more minutes here? This, we should probably carry on and do a little bit more of this here. But let's, let's answer the question, how, how do we actually do this stuff? And how do we actually establish our household for God in a very ungodly time? Well, one of the, one of the ways, and the way I would describe it, is that we have to enter into the process. We have to get into the process whereby... Uh, you know, we deal with uh, we we deal with building our household in the right way, and a process simply means, by definition, a series of actions that are directed towards some goal. If we want if we want to make a conscious decision, if you're a young family and you say, "Hey, I I don't want to have a family that's modeled like this. I want to have a fi- family that's modeled like this." And I, I know it's not going to be perfect, but I, I want to I be able to model my family biblically uh, as best as I possibly can. We want to tap into the process that God gives to us in order to learn how to do that. All right? A process is described like this. Brother Branham says in 1962, getting the bride ready, that's what it is. The end time message is to get the bride ready and prepared for the rapture. Guess what? That's a process. It didn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one church service, right? It happens over time. You grow in grace and in knowledge. Somebody say amen. Over time, you mature in the things of God. That's a process. This is also a process. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we're going to build, starting with faith, and then add knowledge and virtue and temperance and all those other things. Guess what? That's a process. Are we okay? Here we find in Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Guess what? That's a process over time, over your Christian walk, so that you become something. And through the teaching of doctrine, instruction, and righteousness, correction, and reproof, God imparts certain things into your mind and into your soul that make you strong enough to be able to live and overcome in the day that you find yourself standing on the earth. God did not put you here and then not give you the tools to be able to overcome. He put us here and then equips us to be able to stand. So you can't say, I can't stand, it's too hard. You've got to look around and say what other people are. What are they tapping into that allows them to stand, right? You understand what I'm saying? You can't give up just because of circumstances. You can't just roll over because the circumstances are, are tough. Again, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. I've used this scripture many, many times. And this is that, uh, 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 an observation that Solomon made about farmers, uh, where he said that uh, a prudent man is somebody who is wise enough to foresee the inevitable thing coming. The evil is... Uh, the event that's going to happen, even though it's not here now. So a prudent farmer, for instance, will foresee the springtime coming when he needs to plant again. So I'm not going to sell all my seed, my harvest now. I'm going to keep back some of the seed because I foresee that spring is coming. 
And I don't want to use borrowed money to buy seed to plant in the spring. I'd rather hold back a little of the surplus because I know spring is coming. Spring is not here now, but spring is coming. I was telling Lucas the other day that one of his categories, if he's going to save money, is a car replacement fund. Everybody say amen. Because his car does not have eternal life. It doesn't even have probably a good month or two left in it. I don't know. Because, you know, what's really interesting is that, you know, I'll say, honey, hey, we should get lunch ready. Why? As I can hear Lucas rattling coming down the road. I'm only kidding. His car rattles in funny ways, and we can't figure it out. But, he, in other words, he, his car works now, right? It works now. But there's going to come a day. And all the young men said, the young men who believe in bailing wire to hold their car together, they all said amen. It runs now. Hey, it runs now, so I can spend now? Yeah, you can. But you know what? There's going to come a day when that thing is not going to start. It's going to spit back right in your face, right? <laughs> it ain't going to go anywhere. And so you're going to have to replace that thing eventually up the road. So a prudent man sees the evil. You know what? This is a process. This is a process that, that a family enters into. This is something that your sons need to see you think about and vocalize and say, you know what? We got daughters. And some renegade good for nothing is probably going to show up and ask for their hand in marriage. And even though, even though we don't want to, we're probably going to have to have a wedding. That's why God gave me boys. It's, it's the evil down the road, right? You understand? It, that's, what, that's what the word evil means. College is another thing. If you've got kids in grade school, college is an evil. So you, get, you enter into the process, and this is God's way of telling us that there is a process to get you there. You're not there yet, but you're going to get there. College might be necessary up the road. So we're going to prepare for that. How we're going to do it is a little of the time here and, and over a time of, of uh, saving and putting aside things over there, then we're, we're going to eventually get what we need in order to come to the place of uh, success when it comes to college. We might not be able to pay for it all, but we're certainly going to pay for our, you know, a good part of it. I'm running out of time here. Let me just wrap this up. <clears throat> Our world, as you don't need me to spend time on, is obsessed with things that have a screen. And we lose, to me, we lose the value of true relationships when we fail to interact in the real world. And I would encourage you to have your kids unplug. And here's an article by the American Academy of Pediatrics. They released a clinical report. It's amazing that they would have to do a report that you and I paid for on the importance of free play in the development of healthy children. Who knew? Free play aids in physical, emotional, cognitive, and social development of a child. They stated that the benefits of play included a healthy brain development more developed imagination, dexterity, emotional strength, physical strength. You've got to go to school, right? You've you got to do that stuff. But there's also benefits for enjoying the world that God created around us. 
here's Brother Branham, all right, if it's all right. I remember when I was a little boy, I always liked horses, and I said, I'll tell you, you can't go wrong as long as you love, love nature and God, because God's in nature. Brother Branham also said, if you love fishing and love your mother, he said, you'll turn out to be a good boy. And I was thinking, when I was a little lad, that's what I liked. My father was a rider, and he was a good rider. What a shot with a revolver. And he'd take those, see, Brother Bram's father had a revolver. And he'd take those great big stone marbles and roll them out like that and have two guns. Shoot one and knock the other marble in the air and burst the marble with the other gun before it hit the ground. Try that. Try that. That's a real, that's a real, only a real father could do that. I couldn't hit a wash tub like that, it laying still, but I like the outdoors. And I used to want to be like my daddy. I used to want to be like my daddy. Was Brother Bram's father a Christian? No. He never became a Christian. He said, I just love my daddy. He wasn't a Christian until a little bit before he died, and I led him to Christ. But it's inbred in a child to look to the parent as somebody they want to emulate. But he was Irish, through and through, and a real drinker. So some of you want to be you know, missionaries to Ireland. Here you go. No matter what he did, I don't care what he did, he's my daddy anyhow. Imagine now. That's the mindset of a young person. Hey, no matter what my daddy does, I want to be like that. Fathers, we've got to take our role seriously. Grandfathers, we have to take our role seriously, right? If you're in a position of leadership as a mentor, hey, you've got, you got girls, you've got teenage girls, you've got boys, they, they're going to they're gonna emulate their parents. My goodness, therefore, we want to live our lives in such a way that we would be a good example. And listen, young folks, whenever it gets to a place that you had to call your dear mother and daddy, no matter what they've done, when it comes to a place where they're not mother and daddy, they're just the old man, the old woman, he said that's when you've taken one of the greatest backsliding states that you've ever taken. You'll never know what your mother means to you and a father until you hear that squeaking of the casket as it's going out the door. You realize it's not the old man then. You realize them gray hairs in his head. You help put them there. Chief Luther Standing Bear said, Man's heart away from nature becomes hard. The Lakota Indians know that the lack of respect for growing living things soon leads to a lack of respect for humans, too. It's worth repeating. Man's heart, away from nature, becomes hard. The Lakota know that lack of respect for growing living things soon leads to a lack of respect for humans, too. I think that's a great statement. Fourth grader in San Diego, California, recently said, I prefer to play indoors. That's where all the electrical outlets are. <clears throat> Believe in God, 1952. One of the most important things that I think is, is outside of playing in nature, outside of giving your kids a sound uh, foundation and learning how to balance their checkbook, in terms of how to be a good husband, all those things are great. But I will tell you something that the most important thing that fathers can do in terms of their role is to give their sons and daughters a taste for the spiritual and to evangelize them, to pray for them, to pray with them, to, uh, to model themselves as a real father or mother in front of their kids so that they would realize, like the prodigal son did, that no matter how bad and how dark things are, even the servants in my house get treated better than what we're treated out here. 
And they knew, that prodigal son always knew he could go back to his father. He always knew that his father would provide for him. His father would embrace him when he came back. And he said, I'm going to go back and be a servant. Now, the father wouldn't let him be that. But he was willing to, to, to submit himself to his father because he realized what a great resource he had in his father after the fact. Are you following me? I'm going to wrap it up and just say this. That the spiritual development, if we give our kids nothing else, if we give them a love of the things of God and a love for the Word of God and describe to them the benefits of serving God and living according to God's principles, you will have done the best thing. You will have done the best thing if you instill in your children a love for them. And they might, you know, they might, they might say, well, Dad, you know, you got rules and you got, you, Mom, you're, you're too strict and you don't want to let me wear this and you don't let me go here. You don't let me do this and that and so forth. A lot of times it's, it's an important thing, I think, to sit down with your children and help them to understand that my thinking has been shaped not by just my own background or my own preferences. My thinking has been shaped by the Word of God. Let me show you where. Let me show you how. And then you're old enough to be able to come to a decision about obeying that yourself. And that process of bringing your children into the reasons why you live the way you live is a great, great thing. To help them to understand that there is a reason why God puts boundaries in place. There's a reason why he desires to protect us. There's a reason because he wants to carry us through all the way to the very end. And he does not want us to become embroiled in the culture. He doesn't want want us to be marked by the evil that exists in our world. He wants to see you through. And in Deuteronomy, Moses reminds the people, and God tells Moses here to tell the people, he says, I bore you like a father would carry his son. When his son has no more stamina left or he's not able to do it, his father will pick him up and carry him. Make sure he gets all the way to the finish line. And I will tell you something, saints of God, for you that are here that are parents and fathers, sometimes you know you just look back and you think of the mistakes you've made and the things you should have done. What if this and what if that? Many times, many times I've just been there to, you know, you just, there's a whole lot about the past that you can't undo. There's a lot about what you've experienced that you can't, untie but there are to me the 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 consolation that i have is that even in my own inability to understand or even in my own impatience i entrusted my family to god at the beginning and to me they're still in his hands and so lord despite my mistakes i pray you'd carry my children over those mistakes and bring them on the rest of the way. Carry them over my flaws and my weaknesses and let them go all the way through. Let's stand to our feet. The greatest thing I think you can see in your family is a, is a real genuine expression on their part for the love of God and the, the love of the sacred things of God. I think that's a great thing. When children, young people begin to do things just because it is God's word. Not because it's always the popular thing, but when it's God's word and they're able to make that decision to do things on their own, I think, I think that's a great thing.
I think that's, that's to me, that's uh, one of the benefits or that's one of the outcomes of doing everything you can to be a godly father and a godly mother. Your children go through the door and they're leaving and uh, <clears throat> they're making their life on their own. And they begin to employ, they begin to input, uh, put in place things that are scriptural. Um, they're faithful to their marriage in good times and in bad. They're consistent with you know, their finances in good times and in bad. And they're holding on to those principles that they grew up with. To me, that's, I have no, we have no guarantees of the outcome of our children. But to me, that's a great feeling to see your young people follow that way. I think it's wonderful. I'm glad that God's given us boundaries. I'm glad he's given us ways that we can tap into the process to learn ourselves and then be able to impart that uh, to the rest of our to the rest of our families. I think it's a great thing. You fathers, we appreciate you and commend you, and I would encourage you uh, to continue in the fight and continue to press forward and do the things that are right just because they're right, and then let God imp- you know, instill those things and sow those things deep in the hearts of your children. I think that's a great calling, just like mothers have a great calling. I think fathers do as well. I have a father, I have a maker, and he knows my name. Let's sing it this morning here. Sorry to be so long. I have a maker, he formed my heart, and before even time began, my life was in his hand. Welcome to pray with you. His own, and he'll never.
Father, Lord, our, sometimes, Lord, we're, we can be overwhelmed, Lord, challenged by all of these different things, and how do we remember, and how do we get everything right? But, Lord, we know that you promised you'd never leave us, you'd never forsake us, and in the midst of the, the commission you've given to us, in the midst of the role you've placed us in, we know you'd be our constant companion. And so we depend on that, Lord. We depend on your help and your strength. We depend on the patience that only you can give. And, Lord, the wisdom that you provide. May the wisdom, Lord, that we appropriate, may it be from above. The wisdom, Lord, that is kind and patient. I pray, dear God, that every, every father that's here, Lord, and every grandfather who's in a position to influence their children, that, Lord, they might... Be mindful, Lord, of the great responsibility that's given to them. And may they do it with courage, Lord. May they do it with conviction. Because, Lord, the job really never ends. It never ceases. And so, Lord, we pray that your, your strength would be ours. And that, Lord, you would just empower each young man, each, each dad who is here today, Lord, that they might do their very best, Lord. And then you would come behind us and carry us, Lord, in the times when our strength fails. Change our hearts, Lord, I pray. Change our hearts from this world. Change our hearts from the thinking of this world and where it's going, Lord, and the values they have and all the different things that are out there. Lord, I I just pray that we might be different, that we might be courageous and stand alone in the midst of the flow of the rest of this evil world. Have your way, Lord, we pray. May you strengthen marriages and families. Lord, may you bless this day with fathers. We love you. We thank you. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon my wife, my family, my father-in-law. Lord, you would just strengthen him. You've blessed him with many, many years, even beyond his allotted time. We just pray, Lord, that you would just bring healing to his body and strength, Lord, for each new day. Bless each family, Lord, that's represented in the many who are listening. I commit them to you in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We've been made more than conquerors, overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious. Hey.
Oh, your name is great. 